This morning we're going to spend some time in Luke chapter 8. We'd love for you to go ahead and turn there or punch it in on your mobile device, whatever you have in front of you, Luke chapter 8, Luke 8. When I was in junior high, in high school, my main chore, uh, kids, I don't know if you know what that means, chore, C-H-O-R-E, just Google that if you would, a lot of nostalgia behind that word, a lot of information on the World Wide Web about the word chore. We'd love for you to study about it historically. But my main chore when I was in junior high and high school was mowing the lawn. Mom and dad would say, hey, Robert, be sure you mow the lawn. And they would go off to work. And I would be in charge of mowing the lawn, which I would do because they told me to. I was that kid, right? I mean, I'm dutifully obedient. And I, I would cut the, the front yard on Monday, backyard on Tuesday, side yard on Wednesday, other side on Thursday. And because I'm a strong finisher, I would weed eat on Friday and edge and just bring it strong. I know during that time as my dad was beginning to learn my methods, I'm sure there are many times he pulled up and thought, man, my, you know, he must have run out of gas. Maybe he's inside getting some water. And I, I would be inside watching Charlie's Angels. Proverbs. And by the way, parents just don't understand, do they, kids? Trying to incite a rebellion among our teens. Parents just don't understand. You know, my parents were perplexed at my method, my work ethic, or lack thereof. But I was pathetic. I was great at excuse-making. And we really were building this series on that idea. I remember not long after I got into the Scripture, became a student of the Bible, and I jumped into a Proverbs chock full of wisdom. It just, it's a powerful book that brings a lot of conviction. And it, it, uh, in a couple of different chapters in Proverbs, it gives four of God's little creatures, ants, lizards, locusts, and conies. And all four little creatures I learned about uh, were great at shattering our procrastination, our excuse-making. Uh, those little creatures on God's earth teach us about diligence and industry and fortitude and having a plan. We're uh, second week into a new series called Someday. Uh, someday is, a, is an interesting word. Someday I'm going to get around to it. Someday I'm going to get organized. Someday I'm going to get in shape. Someday... I'm going to go to church and make it a regular part of my life. Someday I'm going to go back to school. Someday I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to go on a vacation. Someday I'm going to do the things that I need to do. Someday I'm going to have the difficult conversation. Someday I'm going to reveal the secret. Someday I'm going to date my spouse. I'm going to finish the project. I'm going to tackle the new work. Someday I'm going to mentor the kid. I'm going to spend time with my children. Um, it's common around a house, I would think, uh, for a, a wife to say to her husband, hey, honey, would you do this? Hey, would you do it? when are you going to do this? And that husband says, I'll do it. I'll do it someday. Someday I'll do it. And, he, and she says, what, what, what? what's that, Sunday? Sunday? And he says, no, no, someday. You see, that's part of the problem. A someday sounds like Sunday or a day of the week, but it's not. It's not on the calendar. Uh, th this day that we're working through, it, um, it trips us up. It's, it's sort of this uh, dismissive word, isn't it? it? It sort of allows us to, to save face, to buy time, to not make any sacrifices. It's, a, it's an intermediary step between commitment and to abandonment. Um, last week, as we opened this series, we looked at the idea, someday I'm going to deal with my past. 
We all have issues from back in the day. We all have things that stay with us. We're products of our past. We can be. Life is cumulative. It adds up. And many of us have not dealt with our past. We looked at Luke 19, a story uh, about a real man named Zacchaeus. This morning in Luke 8, we're going to look at a parable. Okay, last week, Luke 19, a story, a little guy, a wee little one who wanted to see Jesus. He was ashamed of who he was, his profession, how he was stealing money from people and lining his own pockets, a very wealthy man, a chief tax collector. And the, the God that we serve walks past the crowd to see the guy who wasn't ashamed to hike up his robe, go for a run, go up a tree, because he wanted to see who Jesus was. A real-life story about a guy back in the day, a real-life profession that history tells us a lot about. This morning, Luke 8 is going to give us a parable. Now, what's a parable? parable is a parable is a figure of speech. It's been said that illustrations serve as windows of truth that illuminate concepts by means of analogy. What the heck did I just say? A parable, stated simply, is, a, is an earthly idea that's given a heavenly reality. Uh, it's a compound Greek word, parabola, P-A-R-A. That word... Uh, means alongside. Think of all the words that begin with para, parachute, paranoid, paralegal, paralympic, uh, the word parallel, right? Uh, you could break those words down. Paranoid, there's one thought that's alongside of maybe a normal thought, right? They say just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they're not trying to get you, right? But there, there's, there's these words para is all it's alongside of bala is the word that you would get, ball. You don't have to describe that in the South, but it's what you, what you go after. It's something that you throw. And the idea of a parable is Jesus, the master teacher, was taking something. He was taking something that you knew about, something that you understand, something that's earthy, that's right there. And he was throwing that alongside of a spiritual truth. Now, there's a couple of interesting dynamics. Let's look at Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. We'll read that. Join with me. Luke 8, 4 to 15, on the screen for some of you. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and he sowed. Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, uh, let him hear. A reference, by the way, to Isaiah 6, 9. And verse 9, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way... They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, why would Jesus say that? Is that a little troubling to some of you, a little baffling to say, hey, he's teaching these things, and it seems like he wants the insiders to know and the outsiders to not know? 
And it's hard to explain in just a few minutes. If I tried to get deep into this, I would bore you. You would leave, I promise you. But suffice it to say that Jesus is not interested at this point. Now, look, the first verse we read, do you remember? There were great crowds that had been hanging out with him. There were people that, I mean, he was popular. And he, he wanted them and us to know that it wasn't just about the crowd. Uh, we as a church have to be careful what we measure. I don't know if we've ever had anybody in the back of the room counting heads, your head and mine, but uh, we got to be careful that that's not what we focus on. And Jesus is looking, he's looking for people who want to genuinely learn, not just curiosity seekers. He wants genuine learners. Well, how do you know? The text tells us that the disciples, among the genuine learners, it says, Lord, tell us, what do you mean by this? And that's a sign of teachability. That's a sign of spiritual growth. That's a sign of a genuine learner that you could be moving from just a curiosity seeker. I love the signs and wonders. I love the benefits. I love all the good things that this good news can bring into my life. But I want to really know, I really want to know what you mean. Isaiah 6, 9 has this very same thing that Jesus said about eyes that see, but they don't really see, ears that hear, but they don't really understand. And the idea there is to be a genuine learner is that we follow up, we continue on. We, we, want, we want to know what, what he has to say. Now, all right, church, here's what you need to know. Simple idea in this passage, but I think there's some rich things for us today. Uh, let's know as we progress through this passage that the seed is the gospel. Say that with me. The seed is the gospel, and the soil is the condition of our heart. Say that with me. And the soil is the condition of our heart. Y'all ready? The seed is the gospel, and the soil is the condition of our heart. And we see four here. First of all, Jesus says that the seed, the gospel, the good news, the, the seed is always good. This is, this is good news, glad tidings. This is revolutionary. This can move you out of darkness into light. It can break you free from the, the, the works of the law and bring you into a newfound life, to a lightness and a levity, to a joy beyond measure. Jesus said some of the seed, it falls on the path. And here's the idea. The seed that's put on the path represents unresponsive hearts. Unresponsive hearts. Have you ever been fertilizing your yard with one of those spreaders and some fertilizer falls out. Inadvertently, it falls out. It's expensive stuff, isn't it? But it falls out on the ground, like on the sidewalk. And, you, you know, that's, it's a hard surface. The, the fertilizer, that seed, it doesn't penetrate. Therefore, it doesn't germinate. Therefore, there is no growth. Um, do you have anybody like that in your life? Are, are you that way? A few weeks ago, we had... Um, a guy that I really admire the guy. We've been friends for a number of years. And he has been hurt by the church, a pastor or two in particular. And he's, he's just been burned by some things. But he came to Fondren Church a few weeks ago. He even made a donation to our church. He, he wrote a check when he was here, and then he, he wrote a check a couple days later online. How cool is that, huh? But he's agnostic. I don't know that he's changing his mind, but he wants us uh, to do well. But yet, he just seems so unresponsive. 
There's a passage in Ezekiel 33, if we could put that up, beautiful idea here. It says, you are to them like one who sings a lovely song with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. They hear what you say. There's a common expression, I hear you. A lot of times when we say, I hear you, we're agreeing. That's sort of like a, a, a man's way to say, amen. I, man, I hear you. That's like, I relate. And then there's another way, like, yeah, 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 I hear you. I hear you. Um, I was on a, a ministry team years ago with a guy who was a really good guy, but he lacked some people skills. And sometimes when you were talking, he would interrupt you toward the end, and he would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it was a horrible habit, really bad habit. We had to, he was one of those extra grace-required people. We had to talk to him um, about his habit of, yeah, 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 but anyway. Try it today over lunch with somebody in your family. They're talking, yeah, 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 but anyway. And then you just change the subject. It's like, I hear you, but this is a yeah, 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 but anyway. I hear you, but I'm dismissing it. Not too long ago, I read a book entitled Into Thin Air, a book about the highest mountain, about hiking the highest mountain, Mount Everest. And the story essentially is about a man named Andy Harris. Some of you nod if you've read this or seen the movie. Very impactful book, a a true story. And Andy Harris is one of only a handful of folks that have done, I think it's percent of the world's population, but he with a group of people of good friends, of maniacal adventurers, of ultra-fit and possibly stupid people, said, we are going to be among the few to go to the top of the Himalayas, Mount Everest, the highest point uh, on earth. And he waits up top, tough, treacherous conditions. But he's, he's enjoying the scenery. He's savoring that moment. And his friends, the other climbers, begin their descent, and they're way out in front of him. Andy Harris at the top begins his descent much slower and much more problematic. The other hikers that had been with him, his friends and adventurers, they reached the bottom. And they radioed back up to him. And he said, I don't have oxygen. I'm not going to make it. I don't have enough oxygen. And they radioed back up. It was tough. There was a lot of static a lot of breakup, and they said, you do, Andy, you do. We left you two oxygen tanks, and they are full. He said, they are not full, they are empty. And they went back in this circular sort of conversation. No, they're full, I promise you. They looked around, everyone knows, right? Yeah, they're full. We left you two tanks full. He said, I see them, they're right in front of me, but they're empty. And they were desperate. Andy, Andy, go for the oxygen. It is there. Take our word for it. It's right in front of you. Andy Harris died at the top of Mount Everest. A couple hundred folks have. I think the, the death toll was 300 and counting. Ten so far this year have died up there. There's no burial, by the way. People who go up Mount Everest see frozen dead bodies on the way up. Andy Harris, what he needed was right there in front of him. But he didn't lay hold of what was in front of him because of what he didn't have within him. And you see, this gospel message is not for man's manipulation. It's not for human manufacturing. It's for God to to, to seek and to save someone who's lost. Jesus said that last week, remember, in Luke 19.10. Actually, I said it last week. We read the scripture. But Jesus said, that's why I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And you and I, we need to pray to the Spirit of God that he would strike 
strike it up in us. And if you have an unbelieving friend or family member, do you feel that way ever at times? It's right there. You're missing it. It's right out in front of you. But it's because it's spiritual. And because they're missing something within, they therefore miss what's right in front of them. And Jesus is saying that seed, this good news that can liberate, it can fall on a path of unresponsive hearts. And what does he say next? It can fall on a rock. And we, we will say that the seeds fall on a rock and it's an impulsive heart. An impulsive heart. What does Jesus say that when it falls on the rock? That the trials of life, they come in. The hardship. Now, see, this, this sinks in a little bit. It, it gets in just a bit. It, it goes into the ground just a little bit. Probably a little bit of moisture. Um, my wife's least favorite word in the English language is the word moist. Any of you have trouble with that word moist? It's tough, isn't it? There's a lot of chatter on Facebook. She's mad at me right now. Just saying the word. Isn't that a horrible word? Horrible word, moist. It's the base word for moisture. But moisture, sweetheart, is really a good thing because we don't grow without moisture. But here Jesus is saying that there is this seed, this good news that falls on the rock. But hearts are impulsive. You see, we, we, we we don't get deep down. We don't have the nutrients for growth. We really, it's, it's, it's something that doesn't take root. For a season, for a short little while, there might be some excitement, but there's, there's trials. There's trials. This summer, I'm trying to, um, to take a trip, probably in July, to build some memories with at least some people in my family to go up to Chicago. We've got a free place to stay when we go. And uh, to go up there, maybe uh, catch a Cubs game, see some of her family, and to have some Chicago pizza. There's this one pizzeria that I'm thinking about going into. Now, this is a serious pizza place. It's one of those places when you go in, you watch them make the pie right in front of you. And they have dough. That's the first element that you see, this dough. And they are shaping the dough. They're rolling the dough, and they're throwing it and twirling it and pressing it and pushing it and mashing it. And all that dough has to go through. It's not the dough alone that we enjoy. We enjoy the end product of that dough. The dough has to be thrown and twirled and pressed and pushed and all mashed up. You go into a pizza place like I hope to, to build memories with my family without going broke this summer, and to walk into a pizzeria and to enjoy some Chicago pizza. What a blessing that could be. But we're there for the pizza. For the meat, the sauce, the vegetables, all the toppings that make up that pizza. But we live in this world where, like it or not, we are the dough. Now, if you put on some pounds recently, you're really feeling that this morning, aren't you? But we're just kind of doughy. We're doughy, and we've got to, we've got to be pressed and shaken and thrown around and twirled. Do you ever, do you ever feel like that, that that's what the world is doing to you. There, there are trials. And I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. He says that these, and he lists a lot of tough stuff. What's your tough thing today, I wonder? What's your, what's your thing that you're even doubting the goodness of God? Where it's, 
It's really hard for you. I was reading Psalm 88. If you're having a hard time, go read Psalm 88. The first part's not going to make you feel any better, but maybe you can relate to it. It's a dark place. If you think it's just joy and lubby-dubby stuff, read Psalm 88. It's dark and depressive. But what is your hard thing? Paul listed a bunch of the hard things that he was currently going through, and he called it. He said these things. Cumulatively, he said, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it's nothing but momentary light affliction that produces an eternal weight of glory. How about that? I wonder this morning if any of you could lay hold of that, if it's tough right now, a momentary light affliction. That is not to say that this is sweet and syrupy and you should look past your problems. It's just saying that you are like dough, that God has a design for you a good result that will bring him pleasure and others great joy. But you have to endure some things. But it is. There will be a day when you can sense it, maybe with all five senses, and you can say it was momentary light affliction. It produces an eternal weight of glory. You will not grow spiritually. I'm not talking about making a decision or having a great experience or having some level of spiritual joy in your life, but you will not grow. You will not be faithful as Jesus teaches here in this great parable if you don't have the right perspective on trials and temptation. It's a a change of prism. It's a change of lens, of perspective, of how you're seeing the world. And I implore you as your pastor to see it the way God sees it. If you're going to grow, Jesus is saying that these trials that can easily sway you, they can be used. They can be used. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 says, don't drift away. Galatians 6 says, don't grow weary doing good. Revelation 3 says, don't lose your first love. The idea in all those passages and so many more is that we can be at a spot with Jesus where we feel excited. But then we can do what? We can lose heart. We can drift away. We can lose our first love. Most of my problems are lesser problems that flow from a wrong view of God and his work in my life. I'm so tempted to myself to have a Psalm 88 experience in life and to be sunken into a pit of depression, to battle unbelief and discouragement. I'm I'm tempted at times to give up or any of you to, to grow weary, to lose my first love. But you're going to grow, you and I, if we stand firm. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Be firmly rooted and established. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, you've been given the victory in Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. What What if that could be more true in your life, that your life was a life of abounding? that you were more steadfast, more rooted, that trials didn't knock your socks off every time. And some of you, you really lack a steadiness. I'm just going to meddle a little bit, okay? We've now gone from preaching to meddling. But some of you, man, you just, you have your, you spin like a top. It could be a minor inconvenience or a major disturbance, but your life is just, it's just too easily swayed. Hebrews 2.1, be careful that you don't drift away. The one version says, I think it's the King James, it says, take earnest heed that you don't drift. Earnest heed, isn't that great? Sounds like somebody you grew up with, right? Somebody from Rankin County. Take, take earnest heed 
Where is earnest heed? Does he go to this church? Take earnest heed. Take him with you. Take earnest with you so that you don't drift away. There's another idea that Jesus teaches here. And that is that the seed, the good seed, that it's planted among the thorns. And what do the thorns do? You know this, the thorns choke. Now, this is a deeper level, though. This is, uh, listen to me for a second. This is for, for you, if you've been a believer, follow Jesus for even a number of years, that the good news could be implanted. You can receive it with joy. You can walk for a season, for a number of seasons. But even then, even then the thorns. Now, what does Jesus say are the thorns? Look down, if you would, at Luke 8. We'll have a moment of silence, just a few seconds. But what are the thorns as Jesus describes them? We'll even let you answer in church if you find it. It's threefold. We might need earnest heed. Pleasures, right? Riches, cares, okay? Worries, another word for cares, but the, 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 the riches, the cares, the worries of life. These are, these are the things that, that can choke the word. I, I was reading uh, a couple days ago about things that are true in movies. These things, I, I think you can... Uh, Maybe be amused by a few of them or relate to them. These are things that seem to always happen in movies. See if you can identify. Things that are true in movies. All grocery shopping bags contain at least one stick of French bread. The ventilation system of any building is the perfect hiding place. The Eiffel Tower can be seen from any window in Paris. You can always park directly outside the building that you are visiting. It is not necessary to say hello or goodbye when beginning or ending phone conversations. A man will show no pain while taking the most ferocious beating, but he'll wince when a woman tries to clean his wounds. Cars that crash will almost always burst into flames. I love this one. Any lock can be picked by a credit card or paperclip in seconds unless it's the door to a burning building with a child trapped inside, then the door must be knocked down. All bombs are fitted with electronic devices with large red readouts, so you know exactly when they will go off, right? Like McGruder. Um, medieval peasants had perfect teeth. It doesn't matter if you are heavily outnumbered in a fight involving martial arts, your enemies will wait to attack you one by one until you have knocked out their predecessors, right? I mean, these things are true in the movies. The movies, the scripted version of life. The things I go to see too often with friends and pay a lot of money. I don't even look how much money I pay anymore when I go to the movies and I go to the concession stands. But we pay big money to see these things lived out in most movies. They're true in the movies, but what about life? What's true in life? What's true in life is if you are going to endeavor for the Spirit of Christ to quicken and awaken a work in you and to grow spiritually and to live that out. then you're going to have thorns. There's going to be, as Jesus describes them, cares, riches, pleasures. Now, hold on a second. Uh, I know some of you young people have read a great sermon by John Piper about uh, the hedonism of the gospel, the pleasure. Psalm 1611, in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God is the giver of pleasure. Uh, we are not preaching that God is against pleasure. He's against pleasures that take us down a wrong path. And we know what riches do. Jesus and the rich young ruler sell all that you have, and he went away sad because he didn't want to give up to fully be devoted to Jesus. And then there are those, those cares, the, the worries. 
Some of you are ulcerating right now. And you're walking a line. You'll, you'll publicly confess Jesus at church or in your small group, but you're living as a pragmatic atheist as if he doesn't exist. And you, you've shown no inward sign that, that you're trusting him, that you're transferring your cares, that he's got you, that he'll take care of you. I've been a fan of the, the Weather Channel. I think I gave it to my youngest child, but I love some meteorology. Jim Cantore is one of my favorite people, another good-looking, bald American guy, right, wouldn't you say? But I, I love it when they say dense, patchy fog in low-lying areas. That's one of my favorite meteorological. They never just say fog. They say dense, patchy fog in low-lying areas. And I read recently that you could take a, a city, seven blocks, and you could see 100 feet high of just dense, patchy fog. And if you reduced that into a water form, that it would fill a glass. It'd fill a glass. And I think our worries at times, I think our worries can be that way. It just, it's, it's clouding some of us. I mean, what, you're, what you care about right now, it's choking out the Word. It's choking out any growth spiritually. And it's just covering. You just can't see anything. But if you really took the cares, it really would, it would, it would just be reduced to something of not much substance. Jesus is saying, man, there's, there are thorns. There are seeds that fall on thorns, and it just chokes the life right out of you. But the good news as we begin to close is there's seed that falls on good soil, and this represents what? This represents hearts that are responsive, not perfect hearts, but responsive hearts. I love the expression. Let's look again at the last verse. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, they Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. You know, I think even though it's written a long time ago in a different culture, we probably don't have a lot of farmers in the room. I know some people in the room from the Delta and they're not farmers. Just doesn't seem like there are a lot of farmers. But I think, let me say this, spiritual growth is more like farming than the classroom. And now you know what farmers do? The, the few I know, Farmers, they sweat the small stuff. They, they, they look for the bugs and the bow weevils and the parasites and the little things. Um, I grew up with parents who love the tomato garden. And there are shoots that come out of the tomato garden. Some of you know this. A lot of you know this. But there's a, there's a kind of a fraudulent shoot that comes out and actually drains energy. You know what it's called? It's called a sucker. It's a sucker. When I was in college, I like run DMC. There were sucker MCs. Those were amateur rappers that you just made fun of. They just kind of, they took away from the legitimate rap. Old school rap, the best rap. These, were, these sucker MCs, there are suckers that just do that very thing. It just drains out of you. That's why there's three things I think that we ought to do, ought to be a part of, the perspective we ought to have when it comes to nurturing the soil, the, the, the spiritual growth in our life. We need to water the garden, prune the vine, tend the soil. I don't have time to preach what any of those really mean. Aren't you glad? But there's an ongoing work that Christ wants to do in your life. There's an ongoing work of watering and pruning and tending. And water, it causes growth. It spurs growth on. And pruning means, and I don't want someone to shirk responsibility, but I do want to encourage simplicity. And there's just some useless responsibilities, some unneeded burdens that you carry that you just need to prune from your life. 
nobody's winning. We are doing this painfully in our own life. But it, it frees you up. When you pare down, you can really grow. Someday, I'm going to take my spiritual growth seriously. Would you pray with me? Lord, in a moment, this moment, Lord, I pray that we would examine hearts. Lord, the seed is the gospel. We've all said it out loud together. The seed is the gospel, and the soil is the condition of our hearts. And Lord, I know some who are journeying who seem to, um, Lord, just seem to be so far away from you, who seem to be so tightly clenched to the good news. And Lord, it, it frustrates me if I think the gospel is about harvesting because sometimes we harvest, but Lord, sometimes you've called us to sow, just to have conversations, to ask questions to not just proclaim a message, but to live it out and do so with gentleness, respect, and humility. Lord, I pray uh, for any in the room or people in the room who know someone outside of this room, it just seems like the seed has fallen on the path. Oh Lord, seed that's fallen in the rocks and trials uh, trials are having their way. Lord, seed that has fallen on thorns. Doubtless, some of us have have walked and we've received the gospel. We've seen it to some extent take root, but it's being choked out. Lord, I know just in my own heart that's prone to deception and interacting with with our folks that Lord, we're so prone our hearts to wander, to go astray to make decisions as it relates to cares pleasures, riches that sabotage any any growth that you would want in our lives Lord beckon us to the good soil Lord beckon us to, to be the people that would live in this world with patience Produce that in us, Lord. Lord, how great it would be if we move from counting people in the seats to really not even counting so much anymore, but just rejoicing in the stories of people that are growing, that are getting it. And when we're around them, we see that you're doing a work. Give us families like that. Give give that to our leaders here. Give that to us as a church. Lord, let us grow. In Jesus we pray, amen.